Welcome to America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. I'm Mina Kim, news correspondent and host of Forum on Fridays on KQED in San Francisco. And I'm Rose Scott, host of Closer Look from WABE right here in Atlanta. Each week, America Amplified will rotate hosts between two cities. Why? Well, to bring you a wide range of voices from across the country about how the coronavirus pandemic is changing how we all live. In this hour, we'll talk with essential workers, the farm workers, sanitation workers, and others who face the virus daily so that they can support their families, but also so that they can bring people the services they need. And you know what? We want to hear from you. Post a comment about your own experience as an essential worker on Twitter at Amplify 2020. And we're going to begin with Whitney Buford Morris, who works in the city of Atlanta Solid Waste Department. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me on. Whitney, what's a typical work day for you? What's that like? Typically I come in, I'm given my assignment. I um, As of right now, I am uh, driving the garbage trucks, the normal garbage trucks that you see coming through your neighborhood once a week. Mm-hmm. So I'm given my assignment and I go to my area and I service the citizens, be it rickling, garbage or yard trimming. So while the new norm for us, we all have a new norm, but not for you, it's business as usual. And I wanna ask you, how does that potentially expose you to contaminated objects or people? How are you protecting yourself? Well, just the nature of this job in general, I'm kind of out there in the elements. You know, I am picking up garbage and recycling. I'm picking up the things that people discard out of their household. So, you know, I I have my PPE, which is my, my gloves, I have, glasses, safety glasses. And of course, I have a mask now, which, you know, that's kind of something new. But uh, that's typically how I carry out my work now and just making sure that I I don't have too much contact with any of the debris that I'm, I'm picking up for the areas that I'm servicing. Whitney, did you ever consider maybe not going to work? Um, Did you have concerns about your safety, your family? Did they say, well, maybe Uh, if you have some days coming to you, maybe you should take them? Of course, I did have some concerns. I have three young children at the house. So, of course, you know, I would hate to inadvertently bring something home to them while I'm out going to work in order to support them. But um, as far as not coming to work for me, you know, I understand what it is that I'm doing. I understand that specifically as it pertains to a, a pandemic, you know, this, the the refuse, it, it has to get up. So I understood that my job more so, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be on the front line the entire time. So I, I made peace with that the moment everything kind of went south. Mm, a lot of people Whitney, thank you for that. I'm just curious. This is Mina in San Francisco. Do you feel like Hello. you've gotten the information that you've needed from your employer or the equipment that you need to be safe on the job? Yeah, I, I actually do. I um, uh, The gloves that we wear is they're heavy-duty gloves and what we pick up now, they've uh, let the citizens know, you know, what they can do that can make it safer for us. So I actually feel my job's done a pretty good job of making sure that the citizens are aware of making sure that your garbage is properly containerized and it's bagged so that I can make the least amount of contact with it. It sounds like that's an important way that residents can help you feel safe yes. and stay safe on the job. Yes, yes that you- is very important. One thing I I always wonder, too, is just how your life has changed since you were deemed an essential worker during this pandemic, like for you personally. Um, Well, uh, the the biggest change, of course, is the children, 
being out of school. So uh, really when it comes to my household, my husband is also an essential worker. So work schedules haven't changed. The only thing that's really changed is the kids are out of school. So whereas school and after school activities would kind of wear them out by the time I get home, you know, when I get home, they're, they're still ready. They're still geared and ready to go. But um, for the most part, the the routine in my house has really remained the same since we're both essential workers. Mm. Whitney Buford Morris, who works in the city of Atlanta's Solid Waste Department. Whitney, hang with us because now I want to bring into the conversation Keith Parker. He's CEO for Goodwill of North Georgia. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good afternoon, Rose. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty, so I hope you all can hear me clearly. Yeah, so far we got you. Keith, for many of the nation's essential workers, you know, this pandemic has put millions of low wage earners in the spotlight, not all of them. And that brings us to a conversation I know that's very important to you when it comes to income inequality. And now this the conversation is turning to, well, let's talk about the plight of essential workers and income inequality. Sure. You know, it's interesting. Over my career, I've had the great honor of serving as an assistant city manager who was responsible for public safety. So I had the frontline police officers, firefighters, folks like that. Now working with Goodwill of North Georgia, I have a number of people who are working in federal buildings, such as the CDC. And, and so they're out there every day making it happen. And one of my prior jobs was as the CEO of multiple uh, transit authorities, including here in Atlanta. And all these folks, one of the great vernacular changes, I love to hear police officers, sanitation workers, firefighters, as well as the folks who are cleaning buildings, be referred to as essential workers because they've always been essential uh, mm-hmm. to me. But one of the really complex conversations that's going on right now is how do you compensate a person in a meaningful way for putting, in some respects, their lives on the line? Uh, you know, some employers have done it with what they call hero pay. Uh, some have done it with added time off and that sort of thing. But ultimately, most of our folks who face the most difficulty when it comes to income inequality, they simply can't afford to take the time off. So they need to be there. As the uh, very eloquent Whitney just said, that their children at home, and when they've got kids and responsibilities, some have to weigh this very difficult equation of do I go to work and face the risk, sometimes a maybe one to 5% risk of getting sick, Mm-hmm. or not go to work and face the almost certain risk of financial difficulty if you don't go. So it is a very difficult conundrum that many of our frontline people find themselves in every day now. And we want to hear from those who are on the front line. Proud to take this next call because it's my hometown of St. Louis. Let's go to Joe. Hi. Uh, yeah, so I am representing a group called the Who Are We Movement, and we are paired up with coronastrike.us and Cooperation Jackson, which is uh, active right now in Mississippi, um, in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, today, we are pushing for an essential worker strike due to the fact that the federal government has yet to do any sort of mandated hazard pay or relief for essential workers, including PPE and uh, mandatory uh, protections that the general public isn't even aware of um, that we deserve in order to protect them. All right. And... Keith Parker, I'd love to get your reaction to Joe. I mean, you were just talking about wages, right? Do you feel like this is a moment where there is more strength among low-wage workers, especially essential workers, to be able to make the case that they deserve more pay? 
You know, it's such a balancing act because many of the companies who hire uh, frontline employees aren't making a very much profit right now, if any profit whatsoever. Uh, some have uh, are not taking in uh, hardly any revenue, uh, but still keeping many of their, their folks, as many, as, they, as many of them as they can, keeping them as whole as they can. So it's quite individual uh, in terms of each employer. You know, some of the governments, uh, local governments were facing really difficult budgetary challenges even before COVID-19 hit. And many of the retailers that you find out there were barely making it. And then when this hit and suddenly very few customers were coming in and the online retail wasn't generating enough revenue, if these employers were to dramatically increase wages or pay folks full-time wages without uh, having that revenue, it, it will bring them to financial ruin. So it's a really complex, almost one-on-one -on -one conversation each employer has to have with their employees. It's a, is uh, that what I wish I had you, one good blanket answer, but there isn't one. Is that what you're facing as CEO for Goodwill of North Georgia, Keith? Because I know a lot of your operations, I believe, had to close, but there are some parts of it that are still open. Are you finding that as an employer, you are doing that balancing act? Yes, and we're one of the fortunate ones. I think, uh, you know, I pray every day and, and give thanks every day of the situation that we're in, that uh, we, even though we had to shut down over a month ago like everyone else, and the vast majority of our revenues come directly from our retail stores, we have not laid off anybody. We've kept every one of our employees, all the full-timers as full-timers, all the part-timers as part-timers. We've kept all the management staff employed. We have asked some folks to take uh, uh, some level of pay cut or reduction in hours, but we were meticulous in making sure that no one lost their health care, that we wanted, that we get two goals when we started this, and it was to keep everybody who was full-time at full-time and to keep everyone's health care at the same level that it was when this started uh, as we go through it. And, and I can, you know, I'm knocking on wood here, thankfully say we've been able to do that. But as I talk to other business leaders and CEOs, we're one of the very, very few. I would guesstimate we're in the, you know, that 5% number who has not had to lay off significant numbers of uh, folks. Because it is a very tough situation. Do you lay off now with the hopes of saving dollars and reopening stronger? Or do you try to fight it out and keep your employees as best as you can uh, for as long as you can? And that's the tact we've taken and, uh, and hope that that's the one that ultimately works well for us. And then pray for all those other people who had to uh, make other very tough decisions. Keith, I want to talk about leadership for a moment because I've had conversations with CEOs and other executive directors who talk about the importance of leadership. And one told me, listen, employees will remember how you treated them during this pandemic. Is there fear that when we get through this, whenever that is, that some industries may face a shortage of workers? And we can actually answer that, too, on the other side of this break. Welcome back. This is America Amplified Live Community and COVID-19. I'm Rose Scott from WABE here in Atlanta. And I'm Mina Kim with KQED in San Francisco. You know, as states like Georgia begin to lift restrictions on certain businesses with more to come next week, what decisions are you weighing? Do you feel safe opening your business or returning to work? We'll join this discussion. Post your comment because y'all can do this on Twitter at Amplified 2020. 
And right now we're joined by Millie Trevino, co-founder of Lideres Campesinas and head of Alliances Nacionales de Campesinas in California's Coachella Valley. She's among the essential workers, less visible. They're the farm workers who are vital to the nation's food production chain, who pick the fruits and vegetables that end up on store shelves. And Millie, thanks for joining us. And while we wait for Millie, uh, we have calls coming in, and I'm going to go to Michael in D.C. Hi, Michael. Hi. Hi, what's Um, on your mind? um, Okay, so now when we hear essential workers, we come to know the term very well now. So it is not the billionaires, it's not the movie stars, it's not the CEOs, but it is the EMS, it is the policeman. It is like me. I'm driving GrabHub to deliver food to my neighborhood mm. in D.C., uh, Maryland, and Virginia. You know, it, it, it is the sanitary worker, the lady that you were speaking with. It is like my wife. My wife is a nurse to work in the healthcare system. You know? And, and, and now, after this is over, the, the bosses of these companies will know that we, we, the, the subordinates, are the ones who kept to the forefront. You know, my wife works. She works in the healthcare system. Some of the nurses died. Some of the patients have died. Yes. She came home and she told me that, Michael, I think you have to go check yourself out because I'm, I don't know whether I have it. Because, you know, she's not showing any symptoms, but I might have it. I don't know. Well, Michael, but you are bringing my- up a lot of things. First of all, it doesn't sound like you feel like you're getting very much support for your employers. But second of all, it also sounds like you and your wife are truly making the decision and you feel like you are really risking your own health on a daily basis. That's what exactly. If I tried, I tried to reach out to my, my primary health care doctor in Maryland. I live in Silver Spring. And the office, I called and called and called because my wife came to tell me that, Michael, you need to check yourself out because I don't know whether I'm carrying the virus and I'm with you. We, we, we sleep in the same bed. So I called to get an appointment. The office was, I broke the office is closed. There's a notice there that because of the virus, we closed the office. I'm paying my premium. And the time that I meet my doctor, my office is closed. So I called my insurance, the insurance company, Carefest, Blue Cross Blue Shield in Baltimore. And I told them, hey, they said I should go get myself checked out. And my doctor is the one who took the referral for me to get the test in Maryland. They said, Michael, we are sorry you can't reach your doctor. But what we can do for you is they will let me talk to a, an emergency doctor on the phone, like the video, tele, tele medicine. You know, I haven't done it before, but they said that for me and... A doctor came on. In fact, it is very beautiful. She's as if I was sitting in front of her. You know, and she asked me all the things, everything, and he said, "Yes, you qualify." So she gave me a, um, a referral to go do the test in, in my city, in Montgomery County, Maryland. I called two and one, the number to call, and I got the health department asking for me to go do the test. They said, "Oh, Michael, well, you you qualify to do the test, but they have to put you in a system called the CRIS, C R I S P." It's a government system where the doctor will put the system so that automatically it will go to where they will show you where to do the test. So, my, Michael, my, have you my... have you done this process and have you found out whether or not? Um, I, I mean, are you still driving as you are in this process, or do you feel the pressure to do that? I guess is a better question. Do you feel you pressure know, to continue the, being a driver? In the first way, I, I can't even get the thing done because they told me that the, the referral was not put in the script. It was on a paper form, so they can't they can't let me do the test. Mm, they I see. Test, you know, and, and it's stressing me out. In fact, I called the, the suicide headline yesterday, three days oh. ago. I have children, 
my my 17 year old daughter is asthmatic you know mm-hmm. and i can't even go there in, in our own home we are wearing masks we don't oh, you know Michael. i tend to stress me out oh, i feel so for you stressed. I mean, I think you are you know? really exemplifying the stress that so many people feel because there's there's so much at stake here. And I really appreciate you calling us. I, I have to move on. I understand that Millie, yes. our uh, our farm worker advocate, is on with us right now. And and Millie, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I'm can so you hear glad. Me? <laughs> yes. And can you can you tell you. us how the coronavirus crisis is affecting workers in the field? Oh, wow. There's so much to share. Uh, thank you for inviting. Uh, uh, Alianza Nacional de Campesinas uh, is uh, representing uh, uh, 15 different organizations in 11 different states uh, around the, this country. And uh, what I can tell you is this. Uh, there's so much. We know we're essential workers. We know uh, we, we've always knew this. Uh, but in terms of what is being seen right now, uh, we are called essential workers. Finally, we, we become visible uh, because if we don't if we don't uh, work in the fields, in the farms or orchards or nurseries and dairies across the United States, then people don't have food uh, in the markets or in in their tables. And so, uh, but what we have been working all along throughout uh, the, my history and history of many others that have been activists is uh, uh, around the economic exploitation of workers, uh, the exposure to pesticides, the harsh and dangerous working conditions of, of, of many, and then the workplace um, violence and sexual harassment, even threats of deportation if you complained of, about anything. I'm not saying that all companies are doing this, but many are. And this uh, uh, puts a lot more jeopardize and more danger to workers uh, right now, especially women, that uh, COVID is happening, COVID-19. Yes, I mean, Millie, I feel like some of the things that you're describing are things, sadly, that were happening already and have been exacerbated by this. And I'm also wondering about just the new challenges that COVID creates, right? It requires people to social distance when they're the fuels. It requires people to have hand washing stations and, and, and hand sanitizers and clean restrooms. And do you feel like farm workers are getting that? No, they're not getting many of of, uh, some companies are providing that, which we're very, very thankful for that. Many are not getting that. Uh, And and I'm talking about not having even restrooms at times or having restrooms, uh, one restroom for a male and then a female. But uh, we're talking about 45 to 50 workers or even more uh, during the day. And uh, the restrooms are not clean throughout the week. And then uh, they only have the hand washing facilities at the beginning of the week, and then throughout the week, uh, if if the crew leader remembers uh, to bring water and or clean the the, the restroom, then it's happening. But um, uh, what does that create? Uh, that workers, uh, even though they're told you have to wash your hands, you have to keep them clean. Uh, excuse me, if they're not providing all the gear that also they need. Uh, it's uh, counterproductive and, and workers are being exposed, working many more times, shoulder to shoulder, or at least one to two feet away from each other. That's not, that's not the social distancing that we're asking, that's being, we're being asked to, 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 to be uh, in order to protect ourselves. So it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard for workers right now. 
I want to bring in Keith Parker back into the conversation because, because Keith, before we went to break, and the question I had for you, based on you heard what Millie said, employees, workers will remember how they were treated during this pandemic. And could that lead to a shortage, a workforce shortage in some industries? And if so, how do you see that? Uh, without a doubt, you know, when we sat down and we've worked on these, worked the numbers, reworked them and reworked them again, and looking at what was the most efficient way for us to come out of this, uh, of this crisis, when we crunched the numbers, it actually would have been cheaper for us to lay people off or furlough people or cut their health care. But we, made, we added the uh, additional variable of loyalty and people feeling good about coming to work for Goodwill of North Georgia. And that's how we came up with the final decision for as long as we can to keep people whole. Uh, because if we don't, the financial devastation that many of our employees would face, including losing their cars, losing their homes, uh, and all sorts of other things going wrong for them, we know a stressed out employee is not the best employee. We know the person who feels more comfortable at home and feels that, the, that, that their employer has their back, if you will, that that's an employee who's likely to stay on and help us through more difficult times that we're certainly going to face in the future. So I think it is a part of the calculus that all leaders need to, to weigh. Though again, I don't cast aspersions at people who had to make dif different decisions, mm -hmm. but I certainly do think the workforce at Goodwill of North Georgia will remember how we've treated them through this crisis and will be thankful for it for many years to come. We're hearing the experiences of essential workers with Keith Parker, Millie Trevino of Lideras Campesinas. And with you, our listeners, post your comments on Twitter at Amplify 2020. And I'd like to bring Debbie Berkowitz into the conversation. She's the Worker Safety and Health Program Director at the National Employment Law Center in D.C. and former senior policy advisor for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA. Welcome, Debbie Berkowitz. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So the CDC, it has issued workplace guidance during this pandemic, but what rights do, you know, folks that Millie Trevino works with have, farm workers have at this time? So you're right, um, Nina, that uh, the Centers for Disease Control has come out with pages and pages and pages of guidance to employers of how to keep workers safe on the job so that you don't see the spread of uh, COVID-19. You know, one of the things that we know about uh, this disease is that people that are asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic um, who are infected and have no symptoms, no temperature, can sort of spread it uh, to one another. And so that's why the crux of the CDC guidance is keeping six feet apart, because you just don't know if, if somebody has it. And also, you know, having everybody um, in a mask. And the problem with the CDC guidance is that it's just guidance. It's voluntary. Employers can follow it or they can ignore it. The federal government has not issued any mandates that employers have to follow to keep workers safe on the job. So CDC has a lot of the guidance and, you know, we heard, you know, from Millie that um, sometimes the farm workers are six feet apart, but then you've also heard, but they don't have access to hand sanitizers because that's another CDC guidance. 
to be able to also wash your hands with soap and water, to have hand sanitizers, to be able to, um, you know, uh, if there's a case of COVID-19 that the sort of workplace will shut down, air out, and then sort of deep clean where they have to. That's all voluntary right now. And it sounds like, of course, that voluntary aspect of it is not just for farm workers or the farming sector, but across sectors broadly. We've got calls coming in, and I'd like to go to them. I'm going to start with Harry in Atmore, Alabama. Hi, Harry. Hi, I'm a truck driver. Uh, I've been out here for like 20 years, and I work for a company uh, CEO that has the heart and the mind for humanity. And he's telling us all the time what to do and putting stuff out there for us. And uh, I don't have a problem with anything except for my government, my company, because there's a lot we don't know about this disease. So I follow everything that's supposed to be followed. I wash my hands. I wear my mask. And it, it gets me because I go to a lot of truck stops out here. It's a lot of people don't have masks on. It's a lot of people that just don't care. And these are truck drivers, not just customers. To the stores and they just don't care and it's my my responsibility to take care of myself so that's what i'm going to do i'm going to sit back take care of myself and 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 be happy out here because i am happy i'm with a great company i don't want to say any names i don't want to say who my ceo is because he's doing everything he can do we even got a little thing you know if we get sick with COVID 19 he gives us time off so that we can go home and get well. But why are we getting well? He's giving us five hundred dollars a week. I mean, mm. that you can't ask for no more than that. No, you can't. You know, and I, I'm just thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to be alive and to praise God and let everybody know out there that God is first. He's the one that's got his hands on this. He's the one that's handling all this, man. Sit back and relax. You know, just do what these people say. They say right. six feet, give them ten. <laughs> All right. Give them ten. I mean, do what you need to do to help yourself because when you help yourself, you're helping others. All and right. y'all got to remember, you can't be selfish. This here is something that we never expected. This is something that I didn't have a idea would be going on in my lifetime. And I'm 63 years old. So I never thought I'd see anything like this. And when I saw it, Oh, God. And I just knew I had to take care of myself. And that's what I'm doing every day. And I want to thank God for letting me be here another day. All right, Harry. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to call us in. Of course, we're talking about essential workers. We want to hear from you. We want to hear about your experience. And before we get to break, I just want to get Millie and, and Keith to respond to what Harry said real quickly. He said, hey, my employer's taking care of me. Um, I I. I am very happy for our workers that are getting the fair share, but I wish that agricultural workers uh, could be could be considered and taken care of the same way. I I really do. Uh, instead of that, uh, you know, workers in Florida are earning eight fifty eight fifty six per hour right now, and uh, they're seasonal workers. So if the work stops. They're, uh, they're unemployed, what does that mean? 65% uh, of our workers are undocumented. And if anybody complains, I should share this. It's, it's very, very important for people to know. It, uh, it, workers are seeing that they're needed, 
but if if uh, um, uh, if someone complains, you're going to get fired, or you're going to be threatened by by uh, ICE. And uh, so, and then women, uh, we have a very large percentage of women that are uh, undocumented and sole earners uh, for their families. And what what happens there? That they have no other choice. If they're sexually harassed, they're going through wage theft, they're going through many many other exploitations at the same time. COVID is just you know adding to to the to the to the problem in terms of mm. women not having where can they leave their children sometimes women between each other helping helping uh each other they're trying to to care and take turns who's going to go to work and right. what does that mean they're getting less pay they're getting less pay and we'll talk about this on the other side of the break you are listening to america amplified life community and COVID 19. we're back in just a moment You're listening to America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. I'm Mina Kim with KQED in San Francisco. And I'm Rose Scott with WABE in Atlanta. As we continue to talk about essential workers this hour, we know that there are a lot of groups on the front lines during this pandemic. Medical workers, first responders, folks who are doing their same everyday tasks as part of their everyday lives, as part of their jobs. But what about the children of those healthcare workers? Let's hear from the children of Tamal Bustos, who works as an ER nurse in Oakland. Bustos sleeps in a trailer in the Bay Area, but when she gets a day off, she makes the three-hour drive home to Clovis, California, to see her kids. With the coronavirus, those visits have gotten tougher. Marina Rocha is a senior in high school, and her brother Marshall is a sophomore. I love to, like, give her a hug and make sure she's fine. I'm a mama's boy. I love my mom. She's really sweet, kind, and amazing. I really don't know what I would like do if she got hurt or sick. Her eyes started to bag and darken. You know, it's clear she's not getting as much sleep. She's not eating that well, and she doesn't have like much time to relax and be herself. We went through like a sonic drive-through. We sat in our cars. I rolled down my back window. My younger brother sat in the back seat. She rolled down her passenger window. We talked from our cars, you know. We walked to the school that's right down the street from my house. We sat on one side of the stadium. She sat on the other. You know, we had some breakfast together, talked with each other. In all honesty, the best words I can say is hard ass. The joke with her has always been, you know, It doesn't matter if you start to bleed or you break a bone or whatever, you just put a band-aid on it. But at the same time, she's she loves us and she tries to be there for us. We have a more real connection. We have a more real perception of life as well, you know. Say like on the topic of, of death, we already know what she wants when she dies. We can talk about things like that because that's what she faces every day. Hi guys. Hi mom. Hey mom. This will be all over soon, okay? Hopefully. I promise it'll, it's going to get better. I miss you, Mom. I miss you too, baby. That story came to us from Clovis, California, from KQED's Sasha Coca. And now back to our conversation with Keith Parker, head of Goodwill of North Georgia, Debbie Berkowitz of the National Employment Law Center, and farm worker advocate Millie Trevino, 
and you. Call us at 800-444-8652. Again, 800-444-8652. We'd love to hear your experience as an essential worker. And I will go now to William in Woodstock, Georgia. Hi, William. Yes, how are you doing? I'm well. So I am a tow truck driver, and I, I work for AAA, and I will say I am blessed to work for this company because one of the things that they implemented when the COVID hit ground zero pretty much was that we have to disinfect our trucks before we start our shift. Prior to now, we are not allowed to carry passengers, but prior to that, if we carried a passenger, we'd have to disinfect the truck also after a person was in the truck. They do, they're do. they pretty much doing everything I could see possible for us to be safe. And even at the end of our shifts, we have to disinfect our trucks. They provide us with gloves, masks, sanitizer, everything that we need. And if we run out, they are quick to get it for us. So I really appreciate the effort that they're doing to keep us safe because I have been working the entire time. I haven't been off since COVID has started. William, thanks so much for that comment. We really appreciate it. I want to bring in one of our essential workers who's been with us this hour, and that is Whitney Buford. And Whitney, you heard what William talked about his em- employer, and you have talked about how you are protected. Um, working for the city of Atlanta, how would you assess being able to have everything that you need to do your job? Well, uh, much like him, we've been given um, sanitizer. We've been given um, things to to wipe down our vehicles. And so I, I actually think they've done a pretty good job of keeping us informed and letting us know what we need to do in order to, you know, protect ourselves. So I, I feel I'm pretty fortunate as well in, you know, giving us the proper PPE. Whitney Buford Morris, who works in the city of Atlanta Solid Waste Department. And Whitney, we thank you so much for your continued service here in Atlanta. Thank you so much and stay safe. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And let's go now to Michael in Louisville, Kentucky. Hi, Michael. Hello. Um, I provide paratransit here in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a public transportation provided for people with certifiable disabilities in Kentucky with the lack of services that are being provided now. There's a most of the clients now primarily consist of folks going to the grocery stores, um, essential jobs, but I would say the majority of people who are on dialysis or chemotherapy, the most susceptible uh, members of our population to this virus. And um, my main concern has just been with the, uh, the degree to which my employer has been able to provide uh, personal protective equipment. Um, seems, you know, I, I trust that they're doing the best that they can, but I imagine everybody now is really having a real hard time trying to find that um yes my main concern being is that the nature of my job typically requires that i'm very up close and personal with the passengers as far as getting them onto the bus making sure that their wheelchairs their devices are secured providing um, seat belts and what have you and it's just um you know for me my concern is that it's just a ticking time bomb just with um you know, as far as being able to provide hand sanitizer, it's been very difficult to come across um, at most one or two pairs of gloves a day. And it just doesn't seem adequate. My, Like I said, you know, my concern yes. is that with the, with the passengers that we have, or I'm more concerned about them than I am with my own safety. But, you know, I'm young. I'm, I'm generally healthy. But, um, but yeah, that's been my concern. 
Well, that's very kind of you, Michael. And you really do bring up a good point that I want to throw to Debbie Berkowitz. What if an employer is not providing you with the support you need, doing the distancing that's recommended because you're in a job where you're engaging so closely with people? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad Michael brought that up because we've heard from all over the country, even down there in Georgia, from poultry workers where they're, you know, working shoulder to shoulder, no masks. Some poultry workers have already died of COVID-19. And, you know, supermarket workers are out there also uh, interacting with the public. And some have gotten protection, often because the union, if they're in a union, has demanded it. Because in this case, the federal government is not enforcing the CDC guidance, unfortunately. However, um, you know, we all want to protect ourselves. And employers have a responsibility to protect workers on the job. And so... Often what we tell people now is, you know, if you're in the private sector, you can call OSHA, though they're not enforcing CDC guidance and they are not actually doing on-site inspections. If you call them and tell them that your employer isn't providing, you know, hand sanitation or masks, they will call the employer and just let them know. And sometimes that works. You can go on the, their website at www.osha.gov, and you'll see a link on the right hand, lower right-hand side to file a complaint. You can uh, keep your, your uh, name confidential. But if you're in a city or a state, you don't have that same protections. And so what I think is important is for you to speak to your coworkers. And, um, you know, the, there are laws that say it's illegal for an employer to retaliate against you if you speak up and voice your concerns. And I think on health and safety, workers need to do that. And there's more protection if they do it together, even just two people saying to the employer, you know, CDC says I should have hand sanitizers. CDC said I should be in a mask to protect other people. You know, CDC says that I should have the ability, you know, to sanitize my workstation. And you're not providing that. And the key is that if employers don't provide it, if we don't protect workers, we won't protect the spread of this uh, disease back into the community. And we won't be able to flatten the curve. So it's sort of very short-sighted of employers not to provide this equipment and really to go out and get it. You know, which is why we sort of are raising concerns now about the, the economy reopening without really the protections in place that workers need to stay safe. And real quickly, Debbie, before I go to Abdul, do you think most employees know the laws around this? You know, unfortunately, I don't think people realize how weak worker safety laws are or what their rights are to speak up. And I think it's really important, and thanks for doing the show. But, like, for, um, you know, some occupations are covered by some laws, some by the other, like uh, agriculture is not covered by the National Labor Relations Act, which gives workers the right to act together to speak up. And if you do speak up and get discriminated against, Really, I advise you to call your legal aid uh, wherever you are in the country. And, you know, we've heard from activists already standing up for workers. And uh, for, you know, agriculture workers, there is the OSHA law. They do, it does cover them. That says that the employer cannot discriminate against you for raising concerns. 
They might. They will, as Millie said, and they may even fire you. So let's get you an attorney. You have 30 days to file a complaint. You know, call up legal aid and and let's fight this. And I really think that um, governors and local officials have really got to enforce with employers that when workers raise concerns, it is illegal to retaliate against them All right. in this, especially in this pandemic. Let's go to the phone calls. Let's talk to Abdul from Oakland. Abdul, thanks for taking the time. Hi, hello. Um, hey. I kind of just wanted to uh, bring up the idea, especially since we're talking about essential farm workers, really with farmers market in like huge cities. Like for example, I am from uh, Oakland, California, and just uh, walking by and I seen just like a huge farmer market and there's like at least hundreds of people uh, around and also see people that, you know, not wearing masks, not, you know, wearing gloves or actually having the protective gear that they need. And especially with like um, federal guidelines that are implemented, that like not uh, can't have too many uh, large groups or uh, or like any like CDC that they kind of give out to help slow down the spread. And I'm just kind of like giving out like that idea of, you know, is, is this really like okay to have? And, you know, like just coming out and just really saying that. That's, that's kind of all that I really wanted to bring told, up. Well, thanks for raising thanks, that. Abdul. We really appreciate it. I'm going to go next to Patty in Georgia. Hi, Patty. Join us. Hi there. Okay, so we in Georgia, even though I'm not considered an essential worker, we are invited to come back to work as of yesterday. So two things. I would hope that, and it would be better if there was an antibody test first to make sure that we are totally protected. Hopefully we are protected if we have antibodies, which I'm not clear on that. So given testing, then we would know if we are safe to go back to work. I also need to know if we are protected because some people say even if you have antibodies, you may still pick up something in the future. There's another whole thing about contact tracing, which I wanted to mention. It would be great if somebody would help me develop a way to, for all of us, just put it out there. All of us should write down every day where we went, what we did, who we came in contact with. And then if we, we'd already have it, if we needed a contact trace, nobody would have to surveil us. We could just already show our list. This is where we went. And it would help. I think that would help if we could electively give out our own information and watch well, it ourselves. It would be Patty, better. Yeah, I think I think you raise a really good point. And I really do want to get Debbie on that initial question that you were asking, which was really about, you know, you yourself don't feel like you need to return. You want to return to work, it sounds like, even though Georgia has lifted some of the restrictions on sectors and businesses. And Debbie Brookwoods, what rights do you have if you are a worker who's being asked to return to work now that your business has been allowed to reopen and you don't feel safe? So in Georgia, employers actually file the unemployment insurance for their workers. So if your employer has decided I'm going to reopen, they notify an unemployment insurance and unemployment insurance will let you know that you're supposed to go back to work. However, um, in Georgia and in a lot of the states that we've heard people uh, call in from, there are provisions in the unemployment insurance um, regulations that talk about um, if there are health and safety concerns if you go back to work. And, and they can um, 
come into play here of whether you need to go back to this job uh, versus, uh, you know, um, stay home and, and continue trying to get unemployment insurance, that um, if you raise concerns about health and safety issues, for example, and the burden is really on the worker here, but you should ask your employer, what guidelines are you putting in place? What mandates in the workplace do you have to protect me? Am I going to be six feet apart from customers mm -hmm. or my coworkers? Are we all in a mask, sanitizing? And if you feel that that's not meeting the CDC guidelines and endangering your health, there is a provision in the law that allows you to say, well, then this is a risk to my health and safety, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, have to take this job. Of course, it's the burden on the worker, and the employer may appeal it, but then uh, uh, you should appeal it. And um, in addition, if you have an underlying condition, if you have asthma or diabetes or uh, lung issues, the kinds of conditions that are immunocompromised, that could mean that if you get COVID-19, it's much more serious for you. That can also factor into whether you have to go back to uh, your old job if it doesn't have sort of the protections you need um, so that you won't get COVID-19. And, you know, sometimes you will have to get a doctor's note to do that. But there are some options here. Well, let's go back to our own essential worker, Millie Trevino, and tell us what you think farm workers need to have the support and the sense that they can speak up. Yes, there's, uh, first of all, we, we want to make sure that workers are provided wa uh, water, soap, and sanitizers and all the, at all the workplaces and with gloves, masks, and other protective supplies. At, at the same time, what we've been doing and the, the women themselves are doing is trying to make sure that they, uh, they are making their own masks to protect themselves and their families. And they're also making, uh, uh, trying to sew and, and, and make masks to, for their coworkers because they know the importance of being protected. At the same time, what we wanna be asking all the time is asking people to, to contact Congress, to contact legislators, to advocate for farm workers during COVID. It's very, very important. We need to, as essential workers, we need to be protected. And for organizations, we ask them to really sign sign letters of support for the COVID-19 Every Worker Protection Act of 2020, which this this comes back to what was said. OSHA is is the one that has the regulations. I'm sorry, but OSHA is right now is not stepping up in terms of monitoring, enforcing, and making sure that companies are are doing their work. Which is what Debbie providing. Berkowitz made clear, and you yes. are underscoring. Yes. Thank you, Millie Trevino, co-founder of Lideras Campesinas. And thank you to Debbie Berkowitz. She's Worker Safety and Health Program Director at the National Employment Law Center, and also to Keith Parker, CEO of Goodwill of North Georgia. You're listening to America Amplified Life, Community, and COVID-19. I'm Nina Kim in San Francisco. And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. Remember, next week, America Amplified will be hosted from KCUR in Kansas City and New England Public Radio in Springfield, Massachusetts. Today's show was produced by Susan Britton and Grace Walker. Our lead producer is Andrea Tudhope. Our technical director is Steven Steigman. And our executive producer is John Haas. Special thanks to WABE in Atlanta and KCUR in Kansas City for working together to bring those voices from across the country to your public radio station. 